Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks this morning that we can meet freely in this place, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we have been blessed with this place, this location, with this time together, Lord. And we just pray now that you would be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, you can take your seats. Guys, thank you so much. It's great to worship together. Superb. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, I want you to welcome Rachel and David up to the stage for me. Give me a big woo-woo-woo. We have been blessed with Rachel last night, and she is back this morning, so we must have done something right. Put your hands together for David, everybody. David's going to pray for Rachel. David, where are you from? Mullingar. Where are you from? Mullingar. Mullingar. Do you know Niall Horan? Close personal friend of mine from Mullingar. Um, David, what school are you at Mullingar? Uh, Wilson's Hospital. Wilson's! Yes! Good Church of Ireland school, yes. David, Mike's here, going to pray for you. Thank you. Dear Father God, thank you for our good night's rest. Thank you for this new day. Please help Rachel as she speaks and help us to listen. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Woo! Awesome, awesome. Just we're getting settled down. You know that, that song before last that we were singing? Are you okay with my accent, by the way? Are you, are you clocking me? Because I have to say, sometimes when um, Simon Henry talks, I'm like, I know your mouth's moving. I know you're saying profound stuff, but I can't, I can't work out what you're saying. Are you tracking my accent? It, yeah. So I'm a Londoner, and in London, we say, in it, it's well lit, in it. So, which means, oh, that's really good. I'm really enjoying that. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and in your best North London accent, say to them something like, being sat next to you is well lit, isn't it? Meaning, I'm really glad to be sat next to you. Go on, get gobby, get gobby. <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, I want you now, if you, if you don't mind, something very serious I want to ask you to do. That was just a warm-up, because I'm going to ask you to, to share something quite profound about yourself um, to the person next to you. So just, just choose, if you're sat between two people, just look to either side, like give them your slit-eyed kind of, mm, I'm not sure if I trust you, I'm not sure if I trust you, and work out who do you trust because I'm going to ask you to say something to them in a minute. So just have a little look. Do, you tr I don't, do I trust you? Do I trust you? Not sure. You've got five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Right, basically, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to confess to the person next to you what you reckon is the largest animal you could single-handedly gaffer tape to a lamppost? I'm, there will be no actual animals harmed in this. So what, what's the biggest animal you could single-handedly gaffer tape to a lamppost? Tell them. Is it a hamster? Rabbit? Puppy? Fox? <laughs> Bigger? Horse! <laughs> okay. 
Brilliant. There was absolutely no point in that at all. Um, unlike the game earlier, the speaker's game, I would like to, where, where is my carrot? Where's my doppelganger, the carrot out there? I thought you were amazing. I'm very glad that I've been depicted as a carrot. <laughs> that was amazing. So um, I'm a youth worker. I've been a youth worker for about 20 years. Um, and I've been a youth worker in London and then more least recently up in Blackburn in the north of England. And I'm only getting to know really some of the young people in my youth group. And in, in my youth group, in my church, there's not a single young person who's grown up in a Christian family. But the youth group that I'm part of, every single young person is brand new to faith. Like, they are choosing to follow Jesus, and they don't have parents or step-parents or even grandparents that are Christians. Like, it's brand new. They are first generation. And I just want to kind of give an absolute honoring shout-out to any of you in this space this morning. You're here, and your families aren't Christians, but you're here. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Because even you getting yourselves here, you might have had to go through, like your, your family might be super supportive. They might not share your faith, but they might be super supportive. Some of you, your families don't share your faith and actually getting here is quite hard. Like you're a little bit shamed or ridiculed by friends or family. It's tough to be here. So I'm getting to know these young people in my youth group and I'm learning what they get angry about, like what really upsets them. And there are two girls, they're both 14, and they share a deep love. We're talking a deep, like deep love for Rihanna. They absolutely adore Riri. They love her. There's a picture coming up in a minute. When she performed at the Super Bowl in that red outfit, they were just like all over that. They were like, Rihanna, you're like amazing. And they know everything about Rihanna. But recently, there's been a terrible, terrible thing that has happened. Because one of the girls um, has discovered something on social media that Rihanna has, is supposedly supposed to have said. I think she said it a long time ago, but for this girl, she's like, Rihanna's just said it. And, and it's made this girl think, I don't think I can trust Riri anymore. I don't think I can trust her. No matter how great that red catsuit is, no matter how amazing you were at the Super Bowl, you've said something that I feel has unmasked that you're actually a really nasty person. And it's, I can't even get to the bottom of what it is. It's something about Rihanna referring to some poor women as broke and then a word beginning with B and ending with S that is not a nice word for women. And she refers to these particular poor women as broke. Mm-mm. And for this girl, she's like, Rihanna's forgotten her roots. Like, Rihanna grew up in a deprived community. She was poor. And she had to work her way out of poverty. And in calling other women who are poor, broke, mm-mm, Rihanna is like unmasked as this horrible, horrible person. I have no idea if Rihanna really said this or not. I know nothing about Rihanna. But it's like a little insight into what I see in culture a lot. I don't know if you see this quite a bit. Like the unmasking of people that we thought were good, were good leaders, were honest. And maybe they say something or they believe something or they do something that makes everybody go, what? Like we've just found you out. We've just unmasked you. 
one of the guys in my uh, youth group, I said to him, like, I'm going to tell these young people this story about the girls' passion for Rihanna and how upset they are about it. Is there like a football equivalent? Now, I'm, I'm heading into dangerous territory because I know nothing about football, so forgive me. But this lad was like, well, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo, like, he got into a lot of trouble in a Pierce Morgan interview when he was complaining about the United manager. Is that right? Did he do that? Anyone know about this? No one's interested. That's fine. But, like, he got into trouble for saying some things that he believed in. People wanted to cancel him. What about J.K. Rowling? What about J.K.? What about her views about gender-based or sex-based rights? What about the whole thing around TERFs? What about the whole conversation around gender and ideology? Like, there's lots going in on in our culture today where people want to cancel other people. And it's referred to as cancel culture. It's like if somebody doesn't agree with what you might agree with, in the past we'd kind of say, well, they've got every right not to agree with what I agree with. And I absolutely stand by that. People have every right to disagree with what I might hold very compassionate, very passionately. But cancel culture is saying, well, actually, if you don't agree with what I think, then actually you are toxic. <laughs> like, you're bad news, and I need to cancel you. Like, your voice has got to be silenced because what you're saying is damaging because of what you're believing is toxic. That is cancel culture. And there's so much of it right now. And yet, weirdly, at the same time as this big cancel culture silence people who say something you don't agree with, at the same time as cancel culture, there is this big narrative in culture of ultra self-expression. Like, if, that's, if you want to be a carrot, be a carrot. <laughs> Like, if that's who you are, that's who you are. You do you. And don't let anybody cancel you. Don't let anybody silence you. Don't let anybody say anything's wrong with you. Don't let anybody question who you are. Like, these two things are going on at exactly the same time. And I wonder, what, what must it be like to be caught out, to be found out, to be called out. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you have moved schools and colleges and something happened between you and somebody in a school where they didn't like what you said or they didn't like what you did. And you rock up at a new school or a new college and that kind of, that has gone ahead of you and everybody knows this thing. Maybe you've experienced being cancelled, being silenced, Maybe sometimes you're in situations where you think, I, I can't tell people what I really think. I can't say that because I'll just be silenced. I'll be cancelled. I wonder what it's like to be part of a crowd that feels so justified in calling out the bad motives in someone. I wonder what it must be like to watch an unmasking, to watch somebody being called out. And I guess the big question of our age is this, who has the right to call out stuff in someone else's life? Who has the power to say, actually, that's right and that's not. That's good and that's damaging. 
that needs to change in your life. Like who has the power, who has the authority to call out things that need to change? Both in society, in culture, but also close to home, in your life. Who has the right in your life to call stuff out that isn't working? Who has the right in your life to call you out on things that are broken? Where maybe what you're doing is hurting yourself and hurting others and hurting the environment and hurting the world. Like who has the right to do that? Who would you go to? Who do you seek out to say, look, I want to grow and I know that I'm not perfect, so I just want you to give me some, some kind, loving, but good feedback. Like, where do I need to change? I wonder where you go to for that. We're looking today another story in the Gospel of Luke. So I know loads of you brought your Bibles today, which is brilliant. If you've got your Bibles, flick across to Luke chapter 19. And it's so good to bring a Bible with you. Because this, this book here, we don't worship the Bible. As Christians, we don't worship the Bible. We, sh- we worship the God who is revealed to us through Scripture. And the Bible is the most beautiful gift to us to help us learn to hear God's voice and to discern what he is saying to us. So even if you struggle reading the Bible, download it on a podcast, listen to it, read it with friends, Listen, let God's word, the Bible says, dwell in you richly. Get used to handling the Bible. There's going to be stuff in it that you will be confused by. There's going to be stuff that you'll feel really is really boring. There's going to be stuff that you don't understand. But it is worth, it is worth digging into scripture saying, Jesus, I want to meet you as I read the Bible. So get used to holding a Bible and reading the Bible. So Luke chapter 19 then. I'm going to read to you a story that for some of you will be super familiar. Here we go. So Luke chapter 19 verse 1 to 10. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. And there was a man there and his name was Zacchaeus. He was the head tax man and was really rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus But the crowd was in his way, and he was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. And when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. And everyone who saw the the incident was indignant and they grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? And Jesus just stood, Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned and he stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. The New Testament is full of so many incidents where Jesus encounters somebody whose life needs to change. 
somebody who's got to the end of what they can do physically to change their lives. And Jesus comes and he does amazing things. He spits on the ground and makes a paste in the dust and, and put it with the consent of the guy who was blind. Puts it on his eyes and heals this man. He heals people who've got demonic possession. He heals people who are sick. He raises the dead. He does these amazing resurrection commands where he just says, Oi, get up. You come out. You, you be alive. Like these amazing things where he just says it and stuff happens. And the majority of the time, Jesus is doing that with people who are oppressed. Oppressed through sickness. Oppressed through poverty. Oppressed because of their sex, because they're women and the culture doesn't see their value and their worth and ostracizes them. Oppresses them because they're caught in structures of oppression and control. And Jesus releases them. Like a lot of the time, that is who Jesus is reaching out to. And the crowds go from like, huh? Why are you hanging out with them? They're losers. They're poor. They're weak. They're sick. They're broken. And they watch what Jesus does. And he restores them to the community. And the crowd are like, whoa, if this is God, I want in. And it's amazing. But this is one of those stories that is quite different. Because in this story, the problem with this story is that Zacchaeus is not a victim. He's not oppressed. He's not poor. He's not rejected in a kind of, because you're poor and you're weak, you're rejected. He is the oppressor. He is the guy in charge. He's the capital. He's got the power. He is rich. And what's more, he is rich off the back of controlling the community. So he would have been a Jewish man in Jericho that very quickly realizes if he wants to get rich quick, he sides with the oppressive power, the Roman regime. And he becomes a tax collector. And he helps the Roman officials to put more and more pressure on his community to hand over more and more of the little that they have. So he is hated. And I mean, like, this is visceral, real utter hatred. The community hate him. It's like if Putin moved into a town in the Ukraine. That's how the people feel about Zach, how the residents in a town in Ukraine that is being systematically bombed by the Russian oppressors if Putin moved in. Like, they hate him. He is everything that is wrong with society and culture. He is hurting them. He is controlling them. He has betrayed them. He has let them down. And Zacchaeus, we're told in this passage, for some reason, we don't know why, but he is desperate to meet Jesus. We don't know why. We don't know what it is that he knows about Jesus. He'll have heard the rumors and he wants to meet him. But Zacchaeus is both very, very small physically and hated. And he knows that if he pushes his way into the crowd that is always around Jesus, someone could just get a little homemade knife and stab him in the back and kill him and nobody would know who did it. The crowd would just disperse and there would be Zacchaeus dead on the ground and everyone's like, wasn't me. And nobody would find out who did it. Like Zacchaeus can't actually get close to Jesus for fear of his life. He is that hated. So this is what happens. Jesus is in Jericho. 
And he's leaving the town of Jericho. And he has rejected the hospitality of Jericho. They would have said to him, Middle Eastern culture, they'd have said to him, Jesus, stay for a few days. Let us feed you our best heifers. <laughs> you know, let's wash your feet and your Jesus sandals endlessly. Let's pluck your beard or whatever it was they're doing. Like they'd have been like so hospitable. And Jesus has said to them, no, I'm going to Jerusalem. Because you and I who know the story What's Jesus going to do in Jerusalem? He's going to be murdered. He's going to be killed. Like, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's on a mission. So he leaves Jericho. And as he leaves Jericho, he would have passed some very big trees that could only be grown outside of the town wall. And as he approaches a tree, he looks up because he notices something strange about this tree. And in this tree is a person, not a kid, not a bunch of kids that are just climbing a tree because they're bored, but actually a really wealth, wealthy, rich person of status. And he looks up and sees him. And Jesus sees him. And who else sees him? The whole crowd. The whole crowd would have looked up and seen Zacchaeus. Now, if you have been under the thumb of somebody who's controlled your life, made your life miserable, demanded more money than you could have. If your whole community uh, kind of united in this hatred of one person and this one person is looking like a right idiot up a tree, what do you think the community might do? Because I've sometimes wondered, why does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? How does he know his name? Because he says, Zacchaeus. Hurry down, I'm coming to your house. Like, how does Jesus know his name? I mean, Jesus is God. It could have been divine revelation. But I think this is what was happening. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Because as Jesus looked up in the tree and spotted this man, so did everybody else. And they started saying things like that, like this. Whoa, look who's up the tree. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, this is your time. Like, you're going to get it from Jesus. Like, you've oppressed us for so long. I think the crowds started hurling abuse at Zacchaeus. That's what I think was happening. And Jesus stands there hearing this. He doesn't join in, but he stands there hearing this. This hatred, this pain, this anger towards Zacchaeus. And and then the, the noise dies down. And I think that the crowd looked to Jesus knowing that he is somebody special, knowing that he loves the outcast, knowing that he welcomes the stranger and the foreigner and the sick and the women and those that everybody else keeps to the fringes of society, knowing that that is what Jesus is about. I think the crowd look at him and they wait for him to say something like this, Zacchaeus, you are a mess. Your life needs to change. The way that you are living is hurting this community. How dare you defy God like this? How dare you use your power to control people? You come down from that tree and you give your wealth to the poor and you change your ways. I think the crowd think Jesus is going to do that. But he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't do that. What does he do instead? What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do in that moment when he could have called out the most horrendous sin in Zacchaeus? What does he do? He does the unthinkable. 
He loves the oppressor. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus, yeah, it's great what you're doing. Carry on. You do you. If that's how you want to live, that's awesome. He doesn't do that. But he looks at Zacchaeus and he says this, Zacchaeus, basically, I've said no to the hospitality of this whole town. I know how much they hate you, but I'm coming to your house right now. So go and stick the kettle on. Let's have a brew. And we're told in, the, the translation that I read to you is the message. It doesn't go into much detail. The NIV goes into a bit more detail. We're told that the crowd, they've directed all this anger and hatred towards Zacchaeus. The moment Jesus accepts Zacchaeus, all of that hatred, all of that anger goes where? Goes where? Onto Jesus. And they cannot believe That Jesus, who says that he is God's son, this is Jesus who loves the outcast, is daring to accept this horrible man. This horrible man that does horrible things. They cannot believe it. They are stunned. They cannot believe it. And in most of the stories of encounters with Jesus, like with the prodigal son story last night, which is the story Jesus told, Lots of the time, most of the time, we don't know what happens as a result of somebody experiencing the generous acceptance and love of God. We don't really know. We don't know if the prodigal son changes. The woman caught in adultery, we don't know what happens to her. We don't know. Most of the characters, we don't know where they end up. But Zacchaeus, we know. We know what happens to him. Because when Jesus goes to his house, the next morning, Zacchaeus comes out and he says to the crowd, who are all waiting there, seething with anger, wondering what on earth is happening. Jesus has gone to his house. And Zacchaeus comes and he says, I'm going to be so, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to live radically different. I'm going to give more than, more than I need to. I'm going to give and give and transform my life. Like The encounter that Zac has with Jesus leads him to repentance. The acceptance that Zach receives from Jesus leads him to repentance. You can write that down if you're writing notes. Jesus' acceptance leads Zach to repentance. And scripture tells us time and 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 time again. That God is a good, just God who cannot bear injustice. He cannot bear oppression. He cannot bear sin. He cannot look at it. He is the only being in the universe that has the ultimate and utter right and authority to call anything out in my life, anything out in your life anything out in the community. And yet we are told time and time again that the way he does that is through his loving kindness. It's because of his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. I'm old enough to be able to stand here and say to you, I I know myself quite well. I'm not under too many illusions anymore about myself. I sometimes I'm under illusions and think I'm like, wow, I'm amazing. But, but actually, I'm kind of quite aware of what needs calling out in my life. I've known Jesus for years. 
And I believe that the moment I said yes to following Jesus, I was held in the hands of God and nothing will take me out of God's hands. Nothing will remove me from the love of God. Once I said yes to Jesus, I'm his for life and he is mine for life. But Paul talks about something called ongoing sanctification, which basically means the more we realize that Jesus wants the whole of us, the more we say yes to your love, God, the more we let God into our lives bit by bit, day by day, moment by moment, year by year, because of his kindness and his love, He says to you and he says to me, you know that thing, that that temptation you struggle with? Shall we deal with that? You know that pain that you're struggling to let go of? Shall we deal with that? You know that anger that you carry, that unforgiveness that is hurting you? Shall we deal with that? Because I can deal with that. You can't on your own, Rachel, but I can deal with that. Shall we deal with that stuff now? Because I've got so much more for you to discover. Like, you're mine. The moment you said yes to me, like, you're mine. I'm yours for life. But there's some stuff that I'd love just to to do in your life if you let me. Some pain, some sin, some struggles, some weakness, some brokenness. I mean, that's what sin is. Sin is a weakness, isn't it? It makes us weak. And we heard yesterday from that lovely brother standing on the stage saying, the gift of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Some of you are longing for self-control. Some of you are longing that your heart is kinder to people that you disagree with. Some of you are longing that actually this peace of God that everyone talks about, that you know is there, you long for that to be really in your mind and your heart and your body. Feeling anxious is normal. Having anxious thoughts is normal. But you and I know when it gets to the point where it takes over and it feels controlling. And we want Jesus to come and do something about that with us because he loves us and wants us to be released from everything that would control us or hold us back or hold us in fear. So I would love, just if you've got stuff in your hands, you can put it on the floor and just... Just relax a bit, because I'd love just to invite us where we are, just to sit. And I'm not going to ask you to move or stand or anything like that. I'm just going to ask you just where you are. Is there stuff for you that, that you would love Jesus to do something about? And I'm not saying that he'll come in front of you and say, I'm going to call out that sin. That's not what we see in this passage. Jesus never says to Zacchaeus, I call out your greed. No, in the face of Christ's generosity, Zach realizes how selfish he is, how greedy he is. Like in the light of God's goodness and kindness, Zach just realizes that he is so far from living the life that he was made to know. And you're not Zacchaeus. I'm not Zacchaeus. You're you. I'm me. But I need Jesus to come and deal with the selfishness in me, some of the wounds in me that have come from a long time ago, some of the anger in me that I direct against myself and I direct against other people. So I'm just going to hold silence in this space for about... 20 seconds max. And this is just a chance for you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that you would love to set me free from? Don't start making stuff up. (laughs) Just let the Holy Spirit show you. Let's just wait for 20 seconds.
And it doesn't matter if you've not thought of anything. If your mind has wandered, that's absolutely fine. That's no problem. If your mind is wandering and you want to focus on what we're doing, you can just say, Jesus, thank you that you're here and you love me. You could just keep saying that over, over and over. Thank you that you're here, Jesus, and you love me. You accept me. But I think for some of you, maybe you have thought about some stuff. And those of you that have thought about things that you would love Jesus to change in you, to free you from, to heal you from, I'd love you just to imagine what might it look like if Jesus changed that. I'm not saying change your circumstances. I'm not saying change the external things. I'm talking about changing the internal stuff. Like, Imagine what it might feel like if that anger that you just don't know what to do with, if Jesus gently and lovingly and kindly said, let's deal with that. I want to release you from that. Or the fear. Or the anxious thoughts that you can't seem to get a handle on. Or the insecurity. Or the behavior that you think, I know that doesn't honor God, but I really struggle not to keep doing it. Imagine what it might look like if Jesus did something in your life. If he changed you. Imagine if you invited him to say, I don't know what it will look like, Jesus, but I'd really like you to be the one to change me from the inside out. Because we know that he can and he does and he wants to because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you with a reckless love. And he has dreams and hopes for you now and for your future that he longs to release you into. So I think it'd be awesome if we just gave the Holy Spirit some space for that. And uh, here at Summer Madness, one of the beautiful things that we do is we give time for Jesus to do that. And we call it prayer ministry, which basically means, yeah, this is my moment. Yeah, before I do anything else, I'm just going to go and have a word with God about this. And there are people in like these yellow tabs, they're awesome, who just love Jesus and have a lot of confidence in what he can do and are really safe people for you just to be prayed with. They're not going to ask you questions. They're not going to probe. They're not going to ask for your life story. They might not even say anything. They might just stand with you and pray. But this is about you making choices for your life and saying, Jesus, I think now is my moment to get real about some stuff. So this is what we're going to do. The band are going to come and join me. In a minute, I'm going to invite us all to stand, and we're going to worship. We're going to love Jesus and worship him and get excited about the fact that he loves us. And there's a really big space over that side there where the benches are, and no one's really sat there. If when we did that activity, you had some stuff that came up for you, like, I think Jesus wants to do something in my life, and I'd love him to to do some stuff like to free me from this anger or this unforgiveness or help me with the pain that I'm struggling with. If you would like to, come and join us to the side. While we're worshipping, just make your way down in the darkness down there and just come and sit on one of the benches and talk to Jesus and have somebody pray with you. And this is a chance for you to say, Jesus, I know you accept me. 
And I know there's stuff that you want to do in me. And I want you to do that change. Make those changes in my heart. And I don't know what it's going to be like, but I want today to begin to live differently. I think there's also one more group. I think there are some young people, like the young people that I work with, and you've come to Summer Madness, and maybe you've never had the chance to say, I want to join this Christian family. I want to follow Jesus. I think there's some of you here this morning that you would like to today choose to follow Jesus. So if that's you, come and join us around the side as well. We would love to pray for you and welcome you into God's family. Okay. So if you're willing and able, let's stand together. Let's stand together.